I swear. Wrestling Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the A Squared Circle Wrestling Podcast. I don't even know what number we're on, but it's uh, we're approaching number twenty. We're, sure. we're, I don't think he's quite number twenty. No, we're approaching we're, number we're, twenty. But we're officially a uh, the longest running episodic uh, British wrestling A Squared Circle Wrestling Podcast in history. Yeah, if you well, yeah, like we we joked about Stevie Knight lasted four or five episodes. Another guy, John. Johnny Midnight wrestler. It's not a really nice lad, actually. He had about four or five episodes. And we're here. We've, we, we've, we've got to double digits and beyond. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, they only gave us they only gave us a week, didn't they? And look, here we are still standing here strong. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, we. If, for those of you who don't know, if you listened to last week's podcast, I was very ill. Really, really poorly. Um, but you'll be pleased to know that I'm back. Back to fighting fighting health um so thank you for all the will well wishes thank you for the prayers um you know it, it really meant a lot and i apologize if uh if last week's episode wasn't as entertaining as usual i was don't worry Andy, i i filled in for you i covered for well, you. I, i'd like to think so i know you definitely covered for me slagging me off on twitter when it never went up that night <laughs> yes. um when i was lying there <coughs> sweating Sorry. buckets it was know. all in good humor you need to just get it so sometimes social media is a great place for a joke. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> um, Go on. So, uh, I, I've got a couple of things, actually, before we get going. Okay. Um, something that I wanted to reference last week, but I completely forgot because I was completely, really horribly ill. I just wanted to tell a quick story about... Um, so, we did the London cockpit last week, right? And um, we had a... Oh, yeah, but it, was, it wasn't this Sunday gone. It was a Sunday before. Um and uh, we were talking about the show, as we always say, what did you get up to last week? So before I forget, and before we talk about up what we got up to this week, um, there was a there was a little deal on the show where um, where Adam Brooks got joined by Sean Custom, um, and he had a so uh, who's another Australian wrestler. For those of you who don't know, um, they're taking over, and um, he got Sean Custom got involved in the end of Adam Brooks's match with Dan McGee, and at the end of the match. Um, he, he wasn't announced or anything, but then there was a later segment later on in the show where um, where Adam Brooks then and Sean Custom then came out and attacked Jodie Fleisch. And then Adam Brooks was given the microphone and he was instructed to... Uh, um, I'm, I'm afraid we're, we're shooting here. We're telling, the, we're telling it like it is. We're pulling back the curtain. But uh, it just reminded me of a great story. But he was instructed to... to to introduce Sean Custom to the Revolution Pro Wrestling crowd and then tell us his motivation behind why he's attacked Jody Fleisch. Um, however, he neglected to uh, to uh, say, this is Sean Custom. And at one point, he did say, I can't do the accent. You could maybe do this. At one point, okay. he said, he what said, did he say? He said, Custom, get him. Custom, get him. Yeah, a bit like that. Um, but he didn't say, this is Sean Custom. This is my boy. This is who he is. And uh, so it was just like, this is his nameless mate. <laughs> um, right. So I just thought it was amusing. And it just reminded me of a story. Do you know the story I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah. I, when you started telling it, I'm going to assume it's uh, the time I did something very similar. Yes. yes. <laughs> so it reminded me of a time <coughs> when we were doing the IPW shows. And uh, and you were in a match. So we, di we did a thing with Bad Bones. But I always just like to introduce people in a 
kind of inventive way. I was a lot more creative back then. I used to drink alcohol as well. So that was uh, where a lot of my ideas came from. Um, but anyway, we had this, I can't remember if Bad Bones jumped you or I can't really remember how it worked. Um, but the idea was you, I think you beat someone up Bad Bones came and made the save, yeah. and you were supposed to go on the microphone and say, I know you, you're Bad Bones from WXW. Like, WXW was still a thing then, and yes. and people knew who it was. And, like, you were supposed to do the job of introducing him to the crowd and then challenging him to a match and having a match with him. Yes. Right? Um, do you remember what you said? Yeah, I did. I said, I know you, you're the big bald lad from Germany. <laughs> You're the big bald lad. Three or four, three times, or four times, yeah. <laughs> You're the big bald lad from Germany. Oi, oi! I know you. You're the big bald lad from Germany. And then, following uh, following that revelation that he was a big bald lad from Germany, you and him had a match with each other, which you cheated to win. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, someone from the crowd shouts out, "Who is he? We don't know who he is." And then MC John Atkins then got on the microphone and said, "I believe his name is." Big Bones. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, yeah. and that's how uh, Bad Bones got off to a not-so-great start with IPW, and I don't really think he was brought back after that, was no, he, until my fault. many years later. But, uh, but yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was a, a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember um, that, yeah. So all these years later, we're still repeating <laughs> these, uh, these same mistakes. Um, so what do they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yes. So... So <coughs> that's you doing that. Well, that you're the me. one barking out the orders. Or so. is it just, uh, yeah, maybe it is me doing that. Um, okay. So that was... The, that don't have faith in people, I no. guess, is the yeah. moral of that story. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so there's a nice little story to get us started. Um, what have you been doing, Andy? Uh, well, today um, I've been out putting some posters up for our next wrestling show in Portsmouth, which is at the Buckland Community Centre. So uh, I've been with Kieran. Big shout out to Kieran, who I know listens. He's one of the lads who comes to our school. And uh, he'd actually make a great guest, I think, because he's got an amazing story. Story, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to give sh Kieran a shout out. He's, uh, he's, he's roaming the streets of Portsmouth now, <laughs> getting those posters up. And a lot of the time, uh, you know, depending on your approach, uh, your manner, you know, when you do these, these menial jobs, you're essentially asking for a favour, a big favour from someone you don't even know. So we're going into shops and saying, oh, hi, we've got a wrestling show coming up. Um, you know, I'd be really grateful we could put a poster up in your window to help advertise. You know, obviously, uh, no shopkeeper or any business is any obligation to say yes. But, you know, generally speaking, a lot of the people in Portsmouth are very generous with their space. So, um, yeah, Kieran's out now and he's got about 30 to 40 posters up and he's not had one no. It, well, it sounds like he's got a... A uh, little job for life there, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and it is, you know, little menial jobs like that, that that the guys get good at. And then, you know, they're the ones who are putting the extra effort in, putting the extra time in, that do get some of those extra opportunities from time to time. Yeah, I'd say, uh, I, what I'd say is like, um, it's it makes a big difference uh, getting involved with stuff like that. And like, no one's, no one's expected to do it. Um, well, no one's obligated to do it, are they? Uh, yeah, in fact, that's probably a better idea. No, it's a better way of saying it. No one's obligated to do it, but um, you're kind of expected to do it just as a almost a rites of passage. Um, and we don't ask them to do. We only ask them to do our our local trainee shows, which directly benefit themselves. So you know, it's within their interest within their interest to kind of try and get people at the shows. But not just that. I believe it also creates. Uh, 
good skills that help you in your wrestling career in terms of, like you say, talking to strangers and essentially blagging them. Yeah, it was <laughs> to, a bit of negotiation, isn't yeah. it? So, um, yeah. so it's a, you know good skills that you can pick up. And also, it's I, what I like about it is when groups of people go out and it's just good for camaraderie, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I dare suggest that a lot of the guys, they sort of, sure they become sort of friendly at training, but, you know, when they, I remember when I sort of take them out initially and show them the ropes of postering, we'd all go get food afterwards and stuff like that. Oh, should we pop into even a subway? It was a, yeah, it was, I was going to say, it was whose turn is it to buy you a subway, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Um, that w- yeah, that's it, really. Just thank you, Kieran, so far. And I'm sure the rest of the team listening will think, oh, I should probably get onto that. We've got 5,000 flyers to distribute and 250 posters. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I uh, We had a wrestling show at the weekend, or I did, Um live in Southampton, Revolution Pro Wrestling, our debut show in Southampton, which I think we should probably talk about a little bit. Um, uh, just because I think it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting one, um, how it came about. Um, obviously, I, I probably should have plugged it in the podcast when we were doing that Q&A and we were slagging off Southampton Guildhall or the management of Southampton oh, yeah. Guildhall. Um, yeah. Probably that would have been an opportune time to have, uh, have plugged that we were going back to Southampton. Um, but um, that show happened. Uh, there was a company called Lucha Forever which ran there. Um, and obviously Lucha Forever, is a, to me, it's an example of... Again, you know that quote I said earlier about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. I think that, to me, sums up Lucha Forever. There's many lessons which have been learned throughout the years in British wrestling, and one of them is that it's just not that easy. It's not that easy to make money. I don't believe anyway, and if it is that easy to make money, I think more people would be doing it, and there'll be more long- longevity from more companies. Well, ev- everyone's trying. Yeah. Well, yeah everyone's trying. But yeah. yeah, it's like, it's not just that, that you know, that phrase again. It's not almost like the same person is trying over and over again. It's everyone's coming along going, oh, I can run a wrestling show. I can run a wrestling show. And as I touched on before, it took me seven or eight years before I sort of learned how to put a show together, what would be required to actually draw an audience in before I had the guts to try to promote my first show. Yeah, so um, so Lucha Forever, they were running shows and they ran, so in one year, they ran um, they ran a lot of shows, like in a very short amount of time, just smashing them out. And I, I was kind of like... Uh, admired them for, for the drive and getting up and doing that of course it was Ryan Smile who was running it and um, but the the maths didn't stack up so despite the fact they were getting huge crowds the, oh I say huge crowds they were getting respectable crowds you know like two three hundreds everywhere they were going that's the only the size of the buildings they were running so they were selling out or coming close to selling out the buildings they were running shows in um, but despite that fact they wound up getting themselves in debt and losing money. Um, and there's a lot of things involved. Um, you know, we could go into the business of professional wrestling, but I don't think it's a time or the place. But I mean, you know, just from a, a standard standpoint, like the shows that he was running, he was hiring in entranceway, cameras, ring, um, ring you know, all of that stuff, which uh, through a lot of hard work and through years and years of taking baby steps and doing one thing at a time, I've been able to acquire and purchase, so therefore the shows won't be as expensive for me to run as they were for him to run, based upon the fact that I've done a lot of groundwork and hard work to build that platform that we can go in there and do it. And I'm also very fortunate to be supported by an on-demand service, um, which has a lot of subscribers, which can then um, subsidise any losses, because everything... If there, Obviously, the aim is not to have losses, but if there is... 
it, there is something to back it up and subsidize it as well as a successful merchandising business behind it as well um so it's, it's very much as different there's different um what is it strings to the bow is that what you say yeah um so, yeah. To, to kind of support it um and anyway um the, the the shows in Southampton, um, there was actually quite a substantial amount of money owed uh, to the building in Southampton um, from a, a couple of unpaid bills. Um, and in order to run shows there, and I wanted to help Ryan out as well, uh, in order to run shows there, I decided to, uh, I paid off their bill, basically, um, and it, a, a quite a substantial bill, um, which was owed to the venue. Um, and I paid that off. Um, and uh and committed to run dates at that venue um so before we even started i was at a big loss because obviously i was, I was paying someone paying for someone else's work um, it was very generous um, you, it was very generous but i said to ryan at the time you know like the, the idea behind it was um you know like uh i'm only doing it because i believe i can make money in that venue long term so it was almost like a you know i was thinking long term instead of short term so it might take me a few shows pardon me to claw back that um that money but i think ultimately um it will be a good decision in the long term um now uh as part of that and i don't want it to look like oh, i've just come in as like a predator and taken the venue and whatever as part of that um ryan was going to stay on kind of essentially be employed to help promote the shows do what he was doing the, the essentially the exact same stuff he was doing to promote the shows before um, and I'd take over the booking and the finances and, um, you know, the production of the shows, etc. Um, and, uh, but unfortunately, Ryan went AWOL a little while ago. Um, so we've, we've run the show uh, essentially blind. Um, and the show did fairly well. We had no, uh, yeah, we didn't really do any advertising. We just did a few, <laughs> uh, a few uh, posts of the matches which were coming up. Um, and uh, and the show, I think for a first show, you you tell me, Andy. I think for a first show, it was it was it was well attended. It was yeah, uh, I think it, and was, it was entertaining. I'd say there was as many people because I used to do the ring for Ryan, so there was I used to watch the shows, and some of them were okay. Some of the guys were just there to, you know, do their are you a comedian or are you a wrestler routine. But the I'd say it was about about as well attended your show was as Ryan's show. So that's a good start. Um, so I think it was a solid base anyway, um, and like again, that's, there's nothing against uh, you know I, like I I like Ryan. I've got a lot of time for him, and I hope that I hope that he's good, and I hope that obviously he can he can come back and, and start doing this wrestling malarkey because I think that's his real strength, the actual professional wrestling side of it. I know he's a he's a very intelligent man, um, but I think like if he were to focus on just one thing, follow one course until success. That's a focus. Oh. That's an acronym. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Okay. Think about it. Yeah, Follow yeah, one course yeah, until success. success. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I agree with it, but yeah. Well, it's. I think it's. Uh, but then they say any multimillionaire, for example, and then that's not always the goal for people. But like, let's say, you know, I'd like to be a multimillionaire one day. If I will, I don't know. But I'm trying. I'm working hard to try and get there. But my point is, uh, <clears throat> you know, they say a multimillionaire has four or five, six, seven different avenues. Yeah. So. But I think that it's, a, it's a, I think it might be a case of you know you work on one thing until it's successful, follow one course until success. You work on it until it's successful, then you start. So I think it's about identifying, like not taking on too much. So you don't start spinning plates. You get one plate spinning. Yeah. Then once that plate's spinning, you can move on to the next, so to speak. You're talking like a true um, expert. 
Well, I'm d- you're talking you like know. a multi-millionaire. Are you doing any seminars soon? <laughs> one, day, one day I'll get you're there. giving it the spiel. But I've, I've said time and time again, haven't I? Many people have said to me if I was doing anything other than wrestling, then I would be a millionaire. So just unfortunate that uh, I just love the old, uh, the old grappling game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a great – like, to me, I really enjoyed the show. I think there's a lot of promise and a lot of hope for that venue, and I hope that we can, we can turn it into a regular, uh, regular venue. And, like, my favourite thing with wrestling is episodic wrestling. Um, and you know, being able to present something where you can come back to time and time again, you can follow the stories, um, you can uh, you can understand and learn who the characters are, and you can get a deeper meaning by going to every show. But at the same time, you can come to it as a standalone show, and you can enjoy it as a one-off as well. Um, and that's ju- that's my goals with uh, with wrestling, really. Um, so, um, so yeah, I was, I was very happy about showing Southampton. What was also really nice about that was um, it was nice that I could get home nice and early as well. Yeah, down well, you'll you'll argue with me on air, which is never professional. Go but on. I'd said to you, let's go, bring it. I said to you, you you'd made a comment, which I won't say. It wasn't rude or anything, but I, it, we'll save it for another day. What you said to me, and I said, well, all I know is I won't be able to do that Southampton show because it's Mother's Day, and you know. My, the mother of my baby that was born six, seven months ago, I'd said, oh, I'm off that day, because I'd said, then I spoke to you the day before, you said to me, oh, you are coming tomorrow, aren't you? I said, well, I had said no, you but, but you are, I, I obviously had. I remember exactly where I stood when I said it, and uh, and anyway, you're like, oh, uh, they pulled a face at me, sulky Quilden, and, um, <laughs> and, and first, anyway, and anyway I've been called this week. And anyway, <laughs> and anyway I had to... Um, I then had to call call my wife, who was surprisingly, not surprisingly, but she was like, oh, okay, no worries. Um, uh, but I, news trickled back to my mother-in-law, and it was, well, Andy, you do know it's Mother's Day tomorrow, don't you? And I was like, I was literally, I felt I was being told off by, by my mum, as if I was eight years old. Uh, and I was literally like, I was like, well, 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 you should have been like, well, not for you. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, not your, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, um the point you made about getting back early was I I had to sell it on the sense of literally I'll be gone two and a half hours. So um, the show uh, ran to time, didn't it? Yeah. So. Well, I was gone a little bit longer than that, but you know I didn't get in any trouble. So they put some food on our table for an extra week. So. Phew. <laughs> Thank God. Um. So uh. So yeah. So if you're listening, um. Nita. <laughs> Thank God y- she's not. You're uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, so she did a hell of a roast actually. She was very she's a she's a lovely lady really. She invited my mum and dad Brown to obviously her house with her husband and all the kids were there and it was really nice. And when and when Billy, good old Billy, I like Billy a lot now, he uh he came to pick me up, I was literally like, Oh I want to go but I'm also sad I'm having to leave. You've turned into such a lovely family lent man, haven't you? Who well, would have nice. ever thought, eh? I know. It was just a nice afternoon. And I I didn't mind coming away because I'd committed to it, but... Well, I bet as soon as she got away, you're like, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, well, as uh, as we always say as wrestlers, and I'm sure actors say it, even Sunday League footballers say it, like, when you're going somewhere, it's like, oh, I wish I, oh, I, wish I was doing anything else this morning. But uh, if, you were sit, if you were sat at home, you'd be wondering why you've not been asked. And, uh, yeah, and I think as well, when you actually get there, the the actually actual be, actually being there is... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, I so, love being there. I love yeah. it probably more than anyone. Like just the, the just the atmosphere with all the lads and you know. 
I, I like it a lot. So, uh, yeah. Brilliant. Cool. So we've, we've covered a lot already, haven't we? We yeah. could, we could re- pretty much take it home now, but we, yeah. we're just getting we're just getting started, aren't we? We are. Um, so what we're going to talk about today? So we we've t- we've spoken a bit about um, uh, what happens when wrestlers don't show up at a, a show. Um, we've spoke about some some old uh, stories from the 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 day when when wrestlers have been. Was it was it wrestlers advertised who didn't turn up or yeah I like think something so, like yeah, that yeah um, and where we told stories well, yeah some of them just didn't turn up some of them gave excuses as to and, why they couldn't and come. some of them got into horrible states and then weren't allowed and yeah um, but listen back to that episode if you haven't heard it um, and you can you can hear about that um, and there were, there was a number of stories that we didn't get a chance to get to um, but I realised there's one story and I said there's going to be a part two of that because there's a number of different um, situations and I think all of the ones we told were from the perspective of when we were on the show either myself as a referee or yourself as a wrestler and another another peer on the show didn't turn up um, and I've got a lot of stories about as a promoter when um, you know that card subject to change line has had to come into effect and the way it affected me um, and the way I dealt with that situation but there's one glaring one um, which I think is it deserves some time to talk about i might not have much to say about it um but i i, I think it was uh well i think like um who so we're, we're referring to um rick flair so that part of the story might not be um hugely long i mean it might be do you know what i mean our, our episode last week for example went far longer than we intended, thought it would um but actually the replacement of sting is a whole other story in itself. Well, as you've well. just killed it now, haven't you? Because like you've just told us what what happened. Like well, some I people might not know. <laughs> they know if they listen to this hand. They know. Well, I'd like to think. I I think you'd be surprised as well because I think a lot of people have come along and don't realise stuff has happened. Like honestly, like I I have a lot of people who say like, oh, when are you going to have Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestle for you? Oh, he's actually wrestled for us three, four times before. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of people who are like that. So um, I think that um. There are a lot. They of don't know fans. their history, do they? No, sh- should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, uh, don't even know they were born. <laughs> um, but um, no, there are a lot of new fans, so I think that that okay. would have been a nice little. Uh, that would have been a nice little surprise. Oh, of, sorry, of, uh, but you've ruined it, haven't you? Because like, I don't know. It's like you give away the finish before the. Yeah. We'll carry on anyway. You, well, you don't do a, well, you don't do a wrestling match, do you? And say, well, I'm going to win with a running power it's not, slam. It's not quite the same. It is. <clears throat> um, so. You'd run the so, show with Bret Hart. Let's start with that. Okay, we? so let's let's a bit of context. So this is York Hall, Bethnal Green, and I had a plan, a man with a plan. So we did the first show we did at York Hall. Um, we had Jushin Liger. Second hall, second show we did, we had um, Bret Hart. Um, now, my theory, and uh, and I've said it before in the York Hall episode, my theory behind um, running the shows at York Hall was um, ultimately I wanted to get. I th- I didn't realise a, a 1,200 capacity venue could be sustainable, getting those numbers consistently. Um, and I thought, and it was a very expensive show to run, but I thought that, you know, within that venue, 12, within that 1,200 seat venue, if I get 600 people in, it'd look really good still, because um, we just wouldn't have the side blocks of chairs. Um, you know, 600 people in that building could look okay. Um, we wouldn't have as many rows, obviously, but it's still 600 people in your call, real nice venue. And that, I believe, was closer to the numbers that FWA were doing for their uprising shows, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, and as we've discussed, even though we can look back now and see rows of empty chairs like at the time it felt like oh, huge it felt massive didn't right? it like yeah i can remember watching uprising one even though alex had promised i'd be on the show um he uh i remember watching it going like wow this this is literally like the british wrestlemania 
Yeah. yeah. Despite the fact, you know, you had the Brian Dixons and the Scott Conways and that, drawing those numbers, it yeah. was the fact there was pyros. It was all, yeah, it, it just was wasn't like, a ring in a leisure centre, was yeah, it? it was sure, like yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, and, like a, and, and being at York Hall just added that sense of prestige to it. Um, so my mindset was, we'd run the same, almost the same regularity that we do now, but we'd probably get down to like 600 people as a, as a regular attendees. Um, but, but, you know, we would um, use... It'd be so mainly British talent, so the wage bill would be reduced massively, and that would subsidise the fact that we had less people at shows. Um, and I believed I could make that a financial success uh, and make it work like that. Obviously, things uh, and like I thought, but I felt the big thing I needed to do was establish the venue with some big names to start with um, to educate people first of all where your call was, because even though we remember it fondly, we talk about it fondly. Um, you know, I wanted to let the people know, first of all, where it was and to put all eyeballs on your call Bethnal Green and turn it into almost, uh, uh, you know, like if you talk about Japan, you talk about the Corican Hall. If you talk about uh, EC, like, w, like America, like well, the ECW, ECW Arena. Arena. Yeah, right. Sure. So I wanted to turn your call into an iconic venue for British professional wrestling, which I believed. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and which I believed I could do. Um, because and and using first of all the lineage of your call as a boxing venue, secondly using the history of the FWA shows there, um, and then create our own legacy. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to do. So the first show was uh, like I said, Jushin Liger. The second show was Bret Hart. The second show proved that a WWE name appearance. Um, would prove to be a commercial success in the sense of you'd get those extra fans there, you know, like you have, um, should we call them the smart fans who, who come for the Tanahashis of the world or whatever have you. Um, but then the general mainstream fan might not know who a Tanahashi is um, and certainly doesn't know who a Marty Skrull is, but does know who a Brett the Hitman Hart is. And then the idea was for those people to come and um, they would come for a Bret Hart and s- then they'd be blown away by Tanahashi, blown away by Marty Skull, blown well, away by Ricochet. Which is probably, um, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but like, must have been the blueprint for like ECW. You know, I, if you look at some yeah, early I ECW so, cards, yeah. you had, yeah. you know, Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, you know, guys you wouldn't immediately associate with what ECW became. Yeah, and then like at the same time, you'd have like, yeah, you, you'd have those guys on, and then you'd have like a Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko doing their deal, you know, and that would be the first How time. Dare you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> If you like Chris Benoit, keep it private. All right, you'd okay. have Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko doing go. their thing. And uh, and like people were witnessing that style of wrestling for the first time and then wound up becoming hooked on that product and becoming hardcore fans. So um, that's that's very much what I wanted to do. So, I, And I believed that after three shows there, we could. I thought that the fourth show there would be set, settling into that pattern. So... We'd done the Jushin Liger, which, despite the fact he wasn't like a um, a mainstream mainstream name, he was big enough in the sense he hadn't been over over here well, ever. Jushin Liger hadn't and, ever been over, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. had been in WCW. He's very recognisable. Um, so you had that, um, and then obviously after that you had um, Bret Hart, who. Um, I, I was yeah, one of the most recognisable planet names on the planet, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was so. going to use a Jake the Snake line from Beyond the Mat. You know, the even uh, even Santa Claus knows who oh, right. uh, <laughs> Bret Hart is. Sure. Because um, I'm a bit more switched on this week, you see. Um, so I could have given so many cool lines last week if I wasn't ill. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the next line was going to be Ric Flair, right? And that was a gamble, okay? Because Ric Flair had a reputation. <laughs> so yeah, I think like Ric Flair, 
Um, although anyone who ever no-shows anything is pretty low. But, like, I'd probably say out of... Let's say you see 10, 10 adverts on Facebook for a, an event Ric Flair's going to be at. He's at eight of them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So like eight out of ten ain't bad, but it should be ten out <laughs> should be ten out of ten. But yeah. eight and, out of ten ain't bad. And, and and with Ric Flair, so and and like, so so with Ric Flair, um, he like there'd been stuff that happened. Like he was supposed to be doing stuff with high spots, and like they paid him a lot of money, and then he reneged on some of it. And which a funny story. Last year I went to WrestleCon to do my show at WrestleCon, um, and I went there the day before to set up, and. Uh, Rick Flair turned up shortly after I did to go and sign some stuff in a room, and it and it turned out he was making good on the money he owed High oh, Spot. Really? Okay. Like all these years later, yeah, yeah, was well, that you know probably, uh, yeah. signing all that stuff? Oh, um, so, um, so yeah, so there was always going to be a risk involved with Rick Flair, and one PW had brought him over as well. And I remember some people had warned me saying like, "Oh, you know, are you sure you know what you're getting into booking Rick Flair?" Um, and I was like, it's kind of a calculated risk for me. Like, I was just like, you know, like, I spoke to his people. But before I spoke to his people, I read the 1PW book. Um, so in the 1PW book, there's a whole chapter about the time they used Ric Flair and lost a ton of money. <laughs> mm. um, and it detailed everything that Ric Flair wanted. I think he may even put how much he got paid. I can't remember. But um, it had a list of how the days went. And... Um, on the, on the whole, it was like, yes, he expected this, that, and the other. However, when he was there, he was very professional. Everything went according to plan. And it was just draining to, to put it all together and make sure it happened. And But once the negotiation was out of the way, everything was straightforward. Um, so I'd kind of read that book and kind of had ummed and ahed about it. And I was like, no, I want to make this happen. Because I really believed in what I was trying to achieve in terms of, you know, making your call a venue and I really believed Ric Flair was the perfect name to to do something right um and uh we wound up uh I, well, I wound up contacting Legacy Entertainment who was his uh his booking agent at the time they've since fallen out but um that was their booking agent at the time we put together a deal it was pretty straightforward there was some backup there was obviously back and forths on some little small parts of the, of the contract um but i i felt like for me to make it work i had to do a meet and greet uh meet and greet slash q a the day before um and then a meet and greet prior to the event and then the appearance at the event and that was kind of the, the way the deal was kind of put together um I think originally they wanted to do it as um, uh, th they wanted to have it as um, uh, kind of like all in one day. But I kind of explained like, I, you know, I, to make it work, I really need to do it across two days. Yeah, like you, make you, it it's almost impossible, isn't it? Like yeah. You've got, you, you've got to spread yeah. it out. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and I said, it'll make it easier on Rick. Um, and because obviously he won't be, you know, he doesn't want to be there nine to five or nine to nine. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't mean you have nine in the morning to nine at night. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of two separate events, so to speak. Um, we negotiated everything. Um, I don't believe I'm allowed to talk about figures because uh, there was a, a, a thing in the contract. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get in trouble. So, um, but we negotiated the the, the money. Um, everything was agreed. Contract signed. I've still got the signed contract from Ric Flair to say that it's it's happening. Um, I paid a, a very substantial deposit to be able to announce him. I do remember there were some funny things, um, like they had to approve any 
any photos that he he was used that you used of him. Um, Every so, time someone took a photo, he'd have to check it. So no, no. So like <laughs> a so like yeah. So like for, for the advertising, you had to use approved photos, oh, okay. right? But they were like, we can provide photos. Right, and I forget how much the, the cost was, but they wanted just say for example it was like two hundred and fifty dollars a photo. I think that's what it and, was. And I was like, um, well, I'm paying all these thousands of dollars for him to be there, and you won't even give me a picture to to advertise him for the the event. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's just the way it is. That and might be the that must be the protocol. Cause well, it might be. They were very like a Hollywood agent, I guess. Yeah. But um, because like even for months after, I'd get stuff being like. Would you be interested in dude from something lizard, oh, thought, lizard lick I mean, something duck, duck dynasty or something? No, it? it's like lizard lick something. Lizard, lizard lick towing. Yeah, think. something like that. Yeah, okay. would you be interested? Oh, in I thought we were going to say that to the and end. Like, I thought I was oh no, like yeah. Uh, yeah. So they were like you know even months after they were like kind of peddling like there. Despite uh, the fact that they know you won wrestling. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And I don't even watch that program. You yeah. know, um, so uh, um, I think it's important we got that in. Um, yeah, totally. So. Uh, in the end, I wound up speaking to Tony Knox, um, who'd photographed the TNA events that Ric Flair was on, and he was able to provide me with some photographs, which I was then able to use for the advertising. Of course, they had to um, they had to okay everything, and you weren't allowed to put like Ric Flair or the Nature Boy without TM next to the okay. uh, next to it. And there was other funny things as well, like you had to have so many O's in the woo. Really? Um, oh, that's it. I didn't know. That. Uh, Mad. It was like the TMs, like they were all the trademarks of Ric Flair. Yeah. Ric Flair. You oh, know. so he trademarked the word woo with I guess so, yeah. I, I guess so, yeah. yeah. And like uh, everything was, yeah, everything was like very precise about in that. And we obviously had to send um, press releases of everything we were, um, you know, everything we were doing. Um, and I was, you know, like it was scary, you know. Um, but we, I, I, I did it all. I, I sent across the stuff. We paid the deposit. Um got everything announced um and um yeah and then what happens from that point is um we we were selling the tickets to the show we're selling tickets to the q a um everything i thought was going fine rick flair did a couple of tweets about it did put something on facebook and for me i'm always worried well i'm not always like I used to be, when there was a talent like that, I'd always be worried until they posted something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. So, like, the first time I booked Bret Hart, until the event went on the website, I was scared. Well, I was going to say, didn't the Southampton event just never go on the website? No, it did go on, yeah. Uh, well, maybe eventually then. I remember you sort of saying yeah. that to me. Um, but, like, uh, but yeah, until it goes on the website or gets announced, you, you're you just scared. Like, you're just scared. And, um, and, and, um, and he tweeted about it. He he put on Facebook or his management team did. I felt like it was his management team doing it anyway because it'd always be like, hey kids, I'm going to be at blah, blah, blah. And it just seemed like it was someone um, yeah, talking I, for him. Probably. And uh, and they were, it was a, a team of women as well and I wouldn't expect any less, you know, like, <laughs> and there were all these glamorous women who were on their, uh, on the team and they were all like really charming and lovely on the phone and, and whatever and, um, and, uh, and everything was in place. It was all fine. And again, there was some, Again, just funny things from like non-wrestling people in the contract, but it, it didn't matter. It was all, it was all, it, none of it matters, right? What mattered was we were advertising Ric Flair. He, we had, to have, he had to Ric have a big Flair. car. Oh yeah, he had to have a big. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah he had to have a big car. Because um, Ric's him a big up. guy. Yeah, because he's a big guy. Um, so which is um, fair enough. He is a big guy. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just wound up hiring a, 
a car like a it was an SUV they wanted so I just wound up having to hire one um and like but I get the impression as well that some of the stuff which was being asked was them just being nice to Rick not Rick being like oh I have to have this I have to have that you know that was the impression I got from at least the replacement yeah so um so that happened um, Can I just throw in a small anecdote about Ric Flair? Yeah, go on. So when I had my first tryout with WWE, I'm literally sat there watching the show and we sat on these folding chairs, me and Eamon. And Ric Flair, he had his wife at the time, who is not Miss Fifi, his previous wife. And I want to say one of his children. I, it, may well have, it may well be Charlotte. We talked about 10, 11 years ago. And Ric Flair approached me and there was two chairs not being used. And he just said, excuse me. It, it's something along the lines of, excuse me, do you mind if I use these chairs? And I wanted to say, you're Ric you're Ric Flair. But my point is, he was so polite. And when, yes, he had to be, but he didn't have to be, if you see what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? yeah. He could have just come over. They were not I being take, used yeah. and taking these chairs. But he said, to, excuse me, can I have these chairs? Yeah. So to your point of, this sounds like probably Rick's management is saying he wants, he needs this and needs that. That's probably not really so yeah. much Rick. Absolutely. Um, so uh, everything's going fine. We're selling tickets. We're doing really well. Um and I'm not scared anymore. Because that's always a thing as well. Like, you put something on sale, you never know if it's going to sell until it starts selling. But once it starts selling, you kind of get a vibe oh, of, a relief, you know, this yeah. is going to do this. is going to do this. And um, and I just knew I had in my mind a figure that I needed to sell for across the two things. But I knew when I got there, I would be... I don't want to say it would be a success... But I wouldn't say I wouldn't be financially crippled. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So like I was just like, oh, as long as I recoup this amount of money, because mm-hmm. in my head as well, and this may sound seem absolutely ridiculous, and like I'm not like I said, I'm not like a businessman. Um, I've just been thrown into this world, and I just have to. I'm kind of figuring it out as I go. But in my head, I was like, once I make this amount of money, then it's just going to be like a regular show. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was my mindset, right? And I was like, and once it becomes a regular show it becomes a little bit less scary mm-hmm. you know so that was my mindset just get to that first hurdle once we got there it becomes a regular show and then you don't have to worry anymore so anyway a few weeks out and I, I, I wish I'd kind of done a bit of research and kind of looked into the emails and whatever have you but I'm going to tell you from memory the best I can um, a few weeks out um, oh so I was I was sending the messages being like um, oh is it okay to and like one of the things was you had to have a business class flight um which uh, admit, uh, you know a lot of top guys have to have. I know Luke Thomas Betts has to have business class flights when that's, he flies. That's obvious. You know, um, that's to be expected. So, um, but I'm getting worried because I'm getting nervous that um, you know that there's always a theory that the closer to the time, the more expensive the flights are. Um, now, in business class, that is sometimes the case, and it is the case more often than not. Okay, but in standard flights. It's a bit of an old wife's tale. Like the only advantage of being able to have a lot of time before you book the flights is that you can do a bit of, uh, you know, you can you can check the flights and see when the prices go up and down, and you can get a bit of feel for what an expensive price is and what a cheap price is. Other than that, there's not really much difference. So I wasn't too concerned, um, but knowing that everything, it wasn't a case of I could sit there on. Uh, on a kayak or sky scanner and find the flight and be like, oh, there's the one and send it to them. Knowing that if I sent it to them, they, it would then go to them. They'd then send it to Rick. Then Rick would send it back to them. Then they'd send it back to me. And it would take, it's you know, that little bit longer to Were you saying because you had to, he had to obviously sign off on the flight? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which happened to us with Bret Hart, if yeah, you remember. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and the flight wound up being yeah. <laughs> way more expensive. Um, and uh, and it, but it's always like, it's almost like, 
do you book the flight and hope for the best? But what happens if they turn around and say, oh, actually, I'm not getting that flight. This flight works for me better, you know? Yeah. So, um, but I think now I've uh, I've got myself, I really, uh, well, I kind of make sure I just say, this is, this your, is flight. your flight. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just lessons learned, isn't it? Um, and, um, but again, like it depends on the level of a guy. You know, obviously Rey Mysterio, when he came over, he had to okay all his stuff and, you know, so it's just, it depends on who the guy is and whatever have you. Um, so, um, I was asking them about the flights, you know, saying like, oh, I need to, but I thought it'd be them pushing me to get the flights organised and they kind of kept stalling me on booking the flights. Um, and then it got to, a f- I, I want to say it was a couple of, maybe two, three weeks before the show and uh, they said to me, um, and, and in fact, I think it was, yeah, maybe two weeks before the show and they and they said to me, oh, can we arrange a conference call for, for like, you know, this time on Monday? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. It's just to, you know, just to go over flights and go over the final logistics and get the balance sorted and all of that stuff. So, yep, no problem whatsoever. So I got on the phone with them, and I'm I'm not just speaking. I was speaking to a lady called Samantha, um, and uh, but then I wound up being on with Melinda. I want to say her name was, um, who was like the the owner of uh, of Legacy Talent, um, and again, lovely lady. Uh, and they they have this wonderful way of painting out a perfect picture before punching you in the face. Um, and basically, they explained to me. They said everything could be okay, but and. This is the first time I've ever told anyone publicly this story. So they said, um, there might be a slight issue with booking Rick's flights. They said, now, he's got a warrant out for his arrest at the moment in Charlotte, right? And they said... The the, 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 the town. The town, town, not the daughter. daughter, (laughs) Um, Due to some alimony payments that his... his, uh, not made they said he's been able to travel internally throughout the united states fine but we're worried that if he gets an international flight when he gets into the country it might flag up that there's a warrant out for his arrest and they might fly him back to charlotte and oh. arrest him that um, made me feel sick you just telling me that story let alone and how I must have felt yeah for you <laughs> and bearing in mind at this point not only, like, so we're two weeks away, roughly, from the show. All the advertising is out. The tickets have already been sold. Um, we told people Ric Flair's going to be there. And people always had... And again, like, I think now, all those years later, I guess four years later, um, almost five... Is it four or five years? It'll four be four five, years this four, year. Okay, so four, be four weeks. It might be, like, four years to the date. Yeah, March, well, there you go, yeah. yeah. It, in fact, it was, yeah. 14th of March? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, have a look. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they said, um, you know, now Rick is willing to fly. And he said the odds are that he's going to come through and nothing will, nothing will happen. Um, but there is a possibility he's going to get flagged. Okay. And then they said to me, but what we're going to do is we're going to give it a few days. So this may be three weeks before. They said, give it a few days. Rick says that this is going to get cleared up um, and he's going to deal with it. Um, and he's been telling us for weeks that this will be 
Go on. It's four years tomorrow. Four years tomorrow. March wow. 15th, so if you're listening yeah. on Thursday, it's four years to the day um, that the show happened. Um, so they said to me, um, they, yeah, they said, um, we can't guarantee he's going to get through. He's willing to fly. Um, they said, but Rick's been telling us for weeks. So the reason we've kind of been putting off the flight. So I could sense that, you know, as I said at the time, like every email I'd write to him, I'd say, and can we look at booking the flights now? And that kind of just be like, yeah, we'll get to that soon. Rick's really happy with how everything's going, blah, blah. You know, like everything would be, yeah. you know, just deflected. Mm-hmm. And they said, they said, you know, we've. he's been saying it's going to be cleared up for a while now and, and we suspect it will be cleared up. And it'll probably be cleared up in a week, so you've probably got nothing to worry about. So what I suggest is we regroup on whenever, Thursday, whatever. Um, and that's what I said. I've, I've had the emails in front of me. I could you know, give you exact timeline. But it was like a few days later, they're going to like, we're going to regroup. We'll assess the situation. If Rick's had it cleared up or not, whatever. Now, I can't tell you the thoughts which were going through my head at this time. And I was thinking, I'm an idiot. I've messed up. Like, and I was thinking, everyone's going to kill me. They've all, they've all paid to see Ric Flair. Now they're not going to see Ric Flair. And I was thinking, oh my God, I hope he sorts it out. And they, they, they were kind of reassuring in the fact that they'd sort it out. And, um, and then... Um, so where were we? So they, so they're gonna, so we're gonna reassess the situation. So then, I started googling like Richard Flair, like arrest warrant, whatever, and I found the uh, the Charlotte Sheriff's website. Were you gonna pay his bill? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I found the Charlotte, Charlotte Sheriff's website where you can literally go on there and you can type in the name of the person. It comes up if they've got a warrant out for their arrest. Okay. Right. So they were telling me that this is going to cl- be cleared up. So every day I'm looking at the thing, seeing if it's been cleared up and his name's still on there as a, you know, the warrant's still out there. Right. So, um, so I'm like getting more and more panicked. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking, you know, are we going to take the risk? And then the next time I spoke to them, they, they literally said straight out, they were like, now listen, they said, Rick is more than happy to fly. We don't think anything's going to happen, but we haven't been able to get any... Because they said they were going to try and get some reassurances from some lawyers that it would be fine him travelling. Yeah. And they're like, but we haven't been able to get any reassurances from any lawyers. They said, so, you're in a position here. We can either try and find a replacement, A, or B, we can still bring Rick in, will try and get there and hope for the best yeah. and hope for the best okay and they said but we're telling you it should be okay but we can't guarantee that so the decision is up to you right basically saying if rick flies in and doesn't, he doesn't get, get, in, get in you you, you lose get, you lose yeah money everything yeah but if he's lot. but if he gets in then everything will be fine and we guarantee you he will get on the plane and go yeah. Right. But we can't guarantee you you'll get in the other end. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the situation I was in. On one hand, do I take this massive gamble and hope that it pays off? And it should pay off because the odds are really high. But what if that small percentage chance it doesn't happen? Right. And then on the other hand, how can I find a replacement at this short notice that's going to be the stature of Ric Flair? Yeah. Right. So they said to me, they were like, so then I, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to need to try and find someone else. And if I can't find someone else, I'm going to have to use Rick. And they're like, well, who do you want? And they're like, we can try and find someone for you. And they mentioned a few names. So I want to say one was Shawn Michaels. 
but he wouldn't be able to appear like he had conditions so he wouldn't be able to appear on the actual show but he could appear before the show he could appear after the show he wouldn't be able to be inside a wrestling ring stuff like that yeah all kind of conditions okay um and the the autographs and stuff wouldn't be allowed to be associated to a wrestling show promotion etc so that seemed almost impossible and we didn't even know he was available but you know, we didn't know any of these people were available. It was just like, this is just a suggestion. Yeah. Um, one of them was Edge. Okay. Um, one of them was Kurt Angle, but they said Kurt Angle couldn't wrestle. So I think for me, it was like, so Edge wouldn't have been wrestling either, obviously. Um, but people knew that Edge couldn't wrestle. So I was like, okay, well, Edge could be a guy. Um, there was Kurt Angle, but Kurt Angle was obviously wrestling for TNA at the time. And they said he couldn't wrestle. He could only do an appearance. Um, and I was like, I'm not really down for that. Because I just didn't think it would. Yeah, like a Kurt Angle wrestling match would have suffi- would have and it did. A <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like as a yeah. replacement, I mean, like Absol- yeah, that yeah, would have been absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and if that, if, yeah, absolutely. If we got that Kurt Angle wrestling match, it would have been something. And then there was Sting, as an up. Well, I suggested Sting. I was like, you suggested I, Hogan as well, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, you'd, you'd said maybe to me. they said no. I think they said Hogan. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they said Hogan was a possible name as well, um, but I said, and I said like I think it could only work with Edge, Sting, or Hulk Hogan. Um, Hogan obviously wasn't attainable anyway for the money that I was paying, but what that what coup that would have been? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and Sting was in a in a uh, in that situation where he was he'd just left TNA, he'd made it perfectly clear that he wanted to go to WWE, but we didn't know if it was going to happen or not, and it was rumored he'd be wrestling Undertaker that year, right? Um, so um, I was like Hogan, Sting, or Edge. Um, then like or we go with Ric Flair if none of them can do it but see the most attainable to me sounds like Edge well doesn't it like well it kind of does but but Sting I don't think really was doing a lot of no he wasn't doing anything he'd never done a Q&A before ever his first Q&A he'd ever done was with me okay right in his whole entire career yeah so um, so he didn't really know what to expect right but it turned out like the agents um, called on behalf of Rick um, I think Mick Foley was a potential name as well. Um, but the agents called on behalf of Mick, Rick, um, and um, and Sting was like, oh, as soon as he heard like he'd be helping Ric Flair out, Sting was just like, okay, let's do it. Oh, let's was that a yeah. big thing, was it? Yeah, okay. absolutely, because he was helping out Ric Flair um, because he didn't want Rick to be drug, you know, dragged through the mud and whatever have you. The, the agents explained the situation to him. There's even an article in the Daily Star where Sting did an interview for the Daily Star once we announced him. Um, and, and and he kind of said, uh, you know, I had to, you know, when I heard out, I'd be helping out Ric Flair out of a tight situation. You know, I jumped at the opportunity to do it. Paying him back for dropping and the belt. But well, he said something along those lines when, in the, okay. if you look at that interview in the Daily Star. Um, so anyway, we agreed with Sting. I got a contract back from Ric Flair saying that the deal was terminated. I got a fresh contract from Sting. Um, s- exact same terms of the deal. Um, everything was everything was set. Now I just had to announce it to the people. Now, I believe I've pulled a rabbit out of the hat here. Do you know what I mean? I believe like there's no way back from yeah. Can we can we move on before we move on to Sting? Yeah. Um, if this will sort of works timeline of the com- of this conversation, um, can we talk about what you wanted to do with Ric Flair? On the show. I don't even remember. He was going to turn heel on the show, right? Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, so we were going to do, um, yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah. So, um, so it was Colt Cabana versus Marty Skull for the British Heavyweight Championship on that show. And so Ric Flair was going to come and do the babyface 
deal, right? Maybe uh, like was it promo second or pro- something or. Uh, no, no, so he was going to do like the pro, like, so he was going to do the promo before the match. Okay. The same way that, oh, yeah, Sting, uh, did. Sting did. And then um, he was going to cheat, like, so it was an Iron Man match with Cabana and, and Marty Skrull, and he was going to cheat to, um, Ric Flair was going to cost Cabana the match. On purpose. Essentially, on purpose, going into overtime, and hand over to the new dirtiest player in the game, the villain, Marty Skull, which was a transformation from, I'm not, I'm not sure we've talked about it in the podcast or not, but like I know you've talked about it with Marty and myself it, together where you were like, oh, there's no way he's going to be the villain <laughs> on my shows. You were but I said to you, Marty, you? I said to you, he's Party Marty, he needs to become the villain. And it was a transformation of Party Marty to the villain. And that was going to be the, the transformation for me. So I wanted him to do that. And hand it over to the new dirtiest player in the game, Marty Skrull, who was going to be the villain, yeah. and that was going to be him off to the races in that. Yeah, so and also just to tie it together a bit more, it was he was in the Revolutionists, weren't they? That were, yeah, who they used to do four. a four horseman deal yeah, like yeah, with yeah. a four. Yeah, so, so that'd um, have been brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and it would have been yeah. like even I, I'm gutted that that never happened. Now talking like in hindsight, yeah, especially what Marty's gone on to achieve yeah. and do. And, and, and but. Uh, you were going to suggest that to Rick. It was a yeah. Jonathan. Oh, yeah, but I was confident in myself that that would happen. And also, when I got there, this is another aside, Jay Lethal was there. And he's like, ah, I would have convinced him to wrestle me. Oh, really? I was yeah. like, well, he's like, yeah, I just got him all excited and convinced him to wrestle me. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Um, which would have been even better. Yeah, right? they like each other, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Podcasts, two months, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so then after that, um, so we got Sting, um, and you would think that everyone would be ecstatic for, oh, disappointed we're not getting Ric Flair, but ecstatic that we've got Sting as a replacement. It is a hell of a right? replacement, to be fair. Now, this was the first time, Andy, that I discovered that the power of WWE, WWF versus WCW, because, and TNA, in a way, because for me, I was like, well, Ric Flair and Sting, they couldn't be more paralleled. I know Ric Flair's a bigger deal, like, in terms of, like, you know... Um, well, he just had that WWE familiarity, didn't he? But He's like, always like well, no, lost so, that so, WCW. So, yeah, so what I'm saying is like in terms of like, you know, as a world champion, Ric Flair's that bigger deal. But in terms of wrestling in WCW, Sting and Ric Flair were the two top guys. Right. Right? You couldn't get, you know, two bigger guys than Sting and Ric Flair. Right? But what I discovered after I announced it, and I had to start refunding people, because we, we didn't offer refunds to a wrestling show because he wasn't wrestling at the wrestling show, and there was still a hell of a card on the wrestling show but for the Q&A like you know if you've bought autograph tickets for Ric Flair you, you can't, can't then be like people, you have you? to meet Sting so I did tons of refunds and because to me that's what the right thing to do right of course it was yeah. but I was still paying the same money right and it was killing me like and and that was the first time I realised the, the coat of paint that WWE puts on you because I, I I understood it don't get me wrong but I believed if you were a huge star in WCW and if you were a huge star in WWE, same difference. Yeah. But well, like, to us as kids, it was so almost amalgamated. Wasn't it? Yeah. We knew they were different, but yeah. as kids, I looked at Sting. You know, I knew Sting was the real deal. I wasn't really a big WCW supporter, but I knew Sting was the business. Yeah. And and I was excited to meet Sting. Just yeah. Just as much as Ric Flair. Absolutely. You know? Same here. And I and I was, I was, in fact, more so because I like Sting for me was like a hero for me when I was little. And I used to have like a, an afro, like an awkward afro. But I had like, remember Sting used to have like a, a I call it a rat tail, you know, like a little yeah. ponytail at the back. Yeah. Like, a, yeah, I, uh, I had yeah. one of those. Yeah, <laughs> with, really, a, with an afro. With an afro. Like, yeah, really weird. Oh. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, I, I told Sting that as well. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, so I just realised when people were asking for refunds and stuff that there is a, a huge difference because Ric Flair, the only difference between the two of them really was Ric Flair had the little run in WWE afterwards and people wanted to meet WWE superstar Ric Flair, not NWA World's champion Ric Flair. Yeah, sure. Which I couldn't get my head around. I was like, that's crazy, yeah. right? And what is even crazier was obviously there was all that demand for Sting to go in to go to WrestleMania, and I believe everyone thought it was going to happen that year, and there couldn't have been more press on Sting at that time as well, because it was the first time he hadn't extended his contract with TNA, because every year he said he wasn't going to, and did, and did, and did, and did, and then he didn't. So I was like, this is going to be absolutely huge. Um, unfortunately, there were, where some fans got refunds, there were a lot of new fans who then purchased tickets, Um I believe that Ric Flair would have been more popular overall in terms of ticket sales than Sting, but it didn't turn out, it wasn't like the huge disaster that I thought it was going to be when when people started requesting refunds. I was like, oh God. Because I just thought people would just switch straight over, you know? And I know for me, I would, and especially given the fact that Ric Flair's done autograph signings in this country and Sting hadn't, you know? Um, so that happened. Um, and uh, and we got through it and it was fine. And like, and like Sting didn't... You know, I, I quickly discovered Sting wasn't really a wrestling fan. Like, he was the most lovely guy ever, like, and I enjoyed spending time with him. And he had a guy, Steve, with him who was uh, um, uh, just a member of his church, I believe, who's also his manager. And um, Did you have to fly him in as well? Yeah. Oh, but, that was a, but that was part of a deal with Rick. with Rick. He had to have someone flown in with him feet also. Feet, um, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so it was the same deal. Do you know what I mean? Um, and... Um, but like, yeah, they were they were lovely, absolutely lovely guys. Um, but Sting didn't really want to do anything. And I'll tell you just quickly one story. Like I was like, oh, we're going to try and get him to do just the old sharpshooter spot, the old Scorpion Devlock spot. Do you know what I mean? Like the same yeah, same well, thing we did with Brett. But and when when Brett came over, he he wasn't so yeah so physical, he, yeah so, he, so yeah so Brett but was he like did it. yeah Brett was like oh I, you know I'm, like he was like I can't do anything like he specifically said that when he was booked, but then. As soon as he got there and like met, met met me and like you know we got along and every he was he realised that it was a professional deal. He was then like, "Oh, I'm happy to do whatever you want. Do you want me to do the sharpshooter? Uh, yeah, cool. No, br- yeah. so I assumed Sting was going to be the same, and it was just a uh, an agent stood between us, you know. So I was like, if I can talk to him, I reckon we can make it work, right? And um, but then like we were doing the interview, and obviously he couldn't remember who the Dangerous Alliance were, which we told on this podcast before. Um, and it quickly became apparent to me that he wasn't really a fan of wrestling and he wasn't really married to the business and he didn't need that. You know, like some wrestlers need that, that buzz of last, being in front of a last, crowd. Yeah. One last high spot. Yeah. Sting didn't yeah. need that at all. He was completely <laughs> content with who he was in life. And, you know, he's grown up now. He's retired from wrestling. He would go back to WWE to do a match with The Undertaker. Um, but as far as he was concerned, he was kind of, you know, content yeah. and happy. Over it. And... Um, so I, I, f- I figured that during the, the Q&A, but then afterwards we, w- we sat down to talk, right? And we were, we were at a venue um, in Camden, um, Dingwalls, um, I can't remember, Lock something. Um, but anyway, uh, I think there's a sh- wrestling promotion does a show there now, like a, an over-18 show. But obviously I could never work out how, but then I realised you have to have a low setting on a ring to do it because the ceiling's so low. You'll but anyway. Be, you'll be chuffed. Our ring that's simple welding, I've asked for a low setting put on here. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's good. So give him a call. That's good to, uh, yeah. it's good to hear, yeah. yeah. We're in. <laughs> um, so, uh, did you ask to get an extra uh, thing for the ropes? 
But you didn't. Extra tip, what did you mean? So on the post, you got to add a, an extra, you know where the ropes hook in to the tensioners? Yeah, we'll talk about that off air. Okay, cool. Because that's uh, the only thing I asked for. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I didn't even ask for the thing to go on. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that? Yeah, I'll need to call him on that. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, okay, anyway. <laughs> as we're wrapping up um, that revelation. Um, so, uh, what was the last thing I wanted to say on the matter? Oh, so yeah, so we were at, we were at that show, we are doing the Q&A, right? And there was a staff member there who had come to the Q&A, like from the, the thing. And it was a, a, a woman and she was getting pissed during the thing. She'd bought a ticket, she was watching, but she's obviously a staff member. And like, and it reminded me of like when I used to work in bars and I just used to, you know, go behind the bar or go back, you know, to the changing rooms. Like when Danny Dyer was in Liquid, as an example, we'd go back and hang out with Danny Dyer or whatever. Um, and uh, it was kind of like that. It reminded me of that, right? She's obviously a huge wrestling fan, works for a venue, couldn't believe her luck that Sting was in the venue she works at, right? And we go backstage and we go to sit down to talk, and she follows us backstage, right? And no one from the venue's doing anything to to stop her yeah. <laughs> being there, right? And I'm uncomfortable with her being there. Sting and Steve are uncomfortable with, or Steve and Steve are <laughs> uncomfortable with her being there, right? And she keeps, and she's drunk, right? <laughs> so she keeps chiming in where it's like, so I'm trying to talk about what we're going to do on the show the next day, and she's, I can't remember what she was saying, but she was going off on. You know, I don't know. It's about the time Ric Flair turned baddie on Steve. Yeah, yeah. right, whatever. I yeah. can't believe you fell yeah. for that. Like, yeah. What a bad man. And, like, um, and I remember this conversation I had with Sting where I was like, you know, like I was thinking maybe you could just stop one of the bad guys from cheating. You know, say your beast, stop the bad guys from cheating. I said, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. I said, like, if you wanted to, you know, do the Scorpion death lock after the match, that'd be cool. If not, just a, just a distraction, like pull a weapon away, punch him, whatever, you know. Um, and... Sting was clearly distracted by this lady, and I swear I could have got more if just she wasn't in this room, right? Yeah. And like, do you know what he said to me? Well, I you know. probably do. I yeah. Do know. yeah, yeah. He was like, maybe I could distract a heel with words. <laughs> and well. I was like, uh, how about we just stick to the saying the bit before the, the the deal? And like, I'd come up with a, a great thing for him. It had been like I don't know, like twenty years or something since he'd wrestled Big Van Vader at Wembley and won the WCW Heavyweight Championship. And I'd given him that, I'd fed him that line to be able to yeah. <laughs> to say in his promo. And he came out and he's, he was there for like two minutes. Exactly. And he said like, yeah. he said hardly anything. And he's like, oh, someone told me like uh, earlier on that uh, I wrestled Van Vader here in London and I won the WCW belt or something. You know, like just completely not a wrestler. You know, you give that to a wrestler of that magnitude. And they, if I'd said that to Bret Hart, you know, it's the equivalent of Bret Hart's I wrestled Bulldog in Wembley Stadium and I've always had an affinity with you UK fans promo. Yeah. Right? And Sting had just and, forgotten and, all about and it. And Sting had forgotten that he'd even probably wrestled in London. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was just like, just so blasé about the whole thing. And then when he did the promo, it was just like, oh, that was it, was it? Yeah. But, like I say, the main thing for me of having Sting there was for him to be able to, obviously we did the Q&A the day before, we did the autograph signing before the show, we did the autograph signing after the Q&A, Sting was absolute total professional for all of that, he absolutely saved my life in replacing Ric Flair, um, and yes, his thing on the show, it could have been longer, it could have been more involved, but to be quite honest, like I said to you at the start, my whole, my whole reasoning for wanting him there in the first place was to draw a crowd 
and then let the wrestling do the talking. So I remember there was a match between Rich Swan and Ricochet against Will Ospreay and Paul Robinson, the Swords of Essex, on that show, which was just crazy, right? And you had Young Bucks against Project Ego on that show as well, right? Isn't it ironic that the Young Bucks, just a few years later, could now sell that building out better than Sting could? Even yeah, though, sure, yeah. do you know what I mean? Mm. Right, but you had the Young Bucks since Project Ego on that show as well. And like, people went to the show and were blown away by the show. So it didn't really matter. The Sting's, Sting's role on the show, yes, it would have been nice if it was bigger, but it was kind of inconsequential in the sense that the objective was completed. He bought the crowd, and then the Will Ospreys, the Mighty Skulls, the Ricochets of the world, they bought them back. Yeah. And. So all was well that ended well, and that story probably took a good few years off my life. Yeah. So fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll outlive you, kid. Probably. Well, I might not actually. I was I was <laughs> really ill last week, wasn't I? Yeah. It's touch and go for a little while. But Well, you anyway, I hope uh hope you all enjoyed the episode. Where are we up to now time wise? Oh, about an hour. Oh, that's like, okay. It's a bit over, but we recorded a lot of stuff at the start, which yeah. would get you in a lot of trouble if we ever. Edited, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Be heavily edited. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's that's all we've got for you this week. But I hope you enjoyed it. Like, I have lots of stories like that. So, if you enjoyed it, let us know. Um, if you didn't, we don't need to talk about stuff like that. You know, just let us know what you enjoy. Let us know what you don't enjoy. But most of all, please. Get yourselves on to the old um, the iTunes and give us a review. We could really use some reviews, especially if they're going to be five-star. If they're going to be three-star, then probably just don't bother. But if they're going to be a five-star review, then please do it. If you can write some words as well, tell us what you like. Um, and keep sending us suggestions of what you like. Keep telling us that you're having a good time. Because it almost it validates doing this. We're not getting any money for doing this. We're not asking for any money for doing this. Um, we just want to share our love and knowledge of professional wrestling. And hopefully along the way, get a few new Twitter followers. Would you yep. say that's fair? I think that is pretty much a prime, obje- prime objective, yes. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, mine is A Quilden, at A Quilden, A Q U I L D A N. And I'm at Boy Simmons, B O Y S I M M O N Z. Okay, well, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you again next week. Laters. Bye. Laters. Bye.